Welcome back once again to Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is again your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service. And I'm pleased to be joined this week by a mother and daughter who are both involved with Notre Dame. Kristen Yett graduated in 2000 with her BS in Mathematics, and her daughter, Jess Davis, is a senior this year, going to graduate in the spring with a BS in Neuroscience and Behavior. So this is the first time we've had a mother and daughter combination on the podcast, but welcome to you both. I'm really excited to have you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having us. Yes, we're excited excited to be be here. here. Awesome. Well, Kristen, I'll start with you. We usually ask people about where they grew up in their childhood. So could you give us some sense of that, please? Sure. I grew up the oldest of four children in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So I have two younger brothers and one younger sister. We grew up in a family with parents who were willing to sacrifice anything to help us reach our goals. Mm -hmm. To this day, my mom still works night shift as a nurse in the ER in Center City, Allentown. Mm, wow. My, yes, she's setting records there, I'm sure. <laughs> my dad studied engineering and then law, and he's constantly working on projects at their house or at my house or my sister's house. He's always willing to help out. My parents felt that surrounding us with strong role models was critical to our upbringings. Mm-hmm. So when I was five, they moved from a familiar neighborhood where my dad grew up and built a house in in an up and coming neighborhood with like a young dynamic Catholic church and a school uh, that was within walking distance to our house and some fond memories, maybe not so fond, but now looking back, they are, we, um, the six of us and our family shared one bathroom and we had one car throughout most of our childhood. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's how it was. So now it's just, it's different now in our house, you know, Jess and I each have our own bathroom, which is really like a luxury, but <laughs> we had very few rules that I recall growing up other than we had to work hard, show respect, and we had to attend mass each weekend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My parents were both very active in our parish. My dad led the parish soccer club and later he was the school board president. And he served as a Eucharistic minister. And later on in the past decade or so, he was the director of like the child center at our church. Mm -hmm. My mom was especially devout in her faith. She loves her rosary and her novenas. Mm -hmm. So she would work night shift at the hospital and then she would volunteer in our school cafeteria, then attend all of our games after school. Like we never know. When did she sleep? Yeah. When did she sleep? That was <laughs> no, no idea. <laughs> my, my parents are so generous and have such a giving spirit and faith always came first. They led, truly led by example throughout my childhood. And so we're free to make our own decisions now. Like I said, I'm the oldest of four, but my parents are really the reason all four of us, my two brothers, my sister and myself, we have such strong Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. We're all active members in our parishes throughout the country, North Carolina, Texas. My sister's here in Pennsylvania with me. And um, we just feel fortunate to have grown up the way we did. Yeah. And I think that's such a beautiful sentiment. I think if you asked a lot of Catholic parents and the desire, of course, is for your children to 
take on that faith and to pass it on to the next generation. But there's there's no guarantees. And, and of course, some increasing angst in our world today, certainly here in the Catholic world, a lot of how do you keep your kids Catholic or how do you uh, instill that faith in them? And I think yours is, is a beautiful story in the sense it sounds like it wasn't forced upon you, but it was something that was just part of who you were as a family and and really just became an indispensable part of your lives. Is that accurate in terms of how it kind of came to be? Exactly. It wasn't, you know, forced upon us, but we we saw how they acted and what they got involved in and how simple yet happy and fulfilling their lives seemed. Mm-hmm. They didn't go on a lot of trips. Probably the furthest trip my you know dad went on a road trip was when he took me out to visit Notre Dame when I was in high school, yeah, they they like to vacation. They call it on their back porch. You know, they're not, <laughs> they don't have to do a lot, uh, but they're, they have such fulfilling lives. And uh, yeah, I think they led by example. And, and we saw that and understood faith really brings out the best in people and is the key to leading a fulfilling life. Jess, for you, as you have gotten to know your grandparents throughout your childhood, what was inspiring to you about their lives as they continued to progress through life and, you know, establish relationships with their grandchildren? Yeah, I think like what my mom said, it wasn't forced. It was just how it was, you know, like as a family, we'd always go to church at 5.30 p.m. on Saturday. And it's just like it's how it was. And, you know, they really led through example. Like, they were both really involved with the church, which, you know, it inspired like us to be involved with the church, too. Like I signed up for altar serving and. I don't know. It's just like a really, it was just part of how our family was and like how we, a lot of time, how we spent together. So yeah, it was just great. I love my grandparents. They're incredible role models. So yeah, what a gift that is. Christian, as you began to mature and take ownership of your faith, when was faith really important to you during moments of your early life? During moments of my early life, I remember joining the youth group when I entered high school mm-hmm. and I felt committed to a group of 10 to 12 of us, mostly because my group of friends in eighth grade, many of them chose to attend the public high schools nearby. So mm-hmm. I felt it was a way that we could stick together as a group of friends. So sure. that's how I, I got involved. But then I grew deeper in my faith through some experiences with the youth group, things that stick out in my mind or, you know, going to the local nursing home and singing Christmas carols Mm -hmm. and helping out at the local homeless shelter. And then we, we took them, some of the kids out to a restaurant with us, which was some, you know, some of their first times doing that. And I later became a member of the youth council. So I, I got to not only participate in retreats, which I loved, but also help lead the retreats, which was really special. And one event that really sticks out in my mind, because it's it's might be a little out of character for my mom, but one time in my, my youth, and I, I was probably in fifth or sixth grade, my mom took me to an abortion clinic in Allentown wow. where wow. they were, we were holding up signs, but it was silent. I have very few memories of it, but I remember there were TV cameras there. And she said, you know, just stay quiet and keep praying your rosary, you know, and huh. we just walked by and I, I just picketing along a sidewalk. We only ever did that once, but that's something that does stand out in my mind as well in my youth. Yeah. Wow. 
That's very powerful. When it came time to think about college, did faith play a factor in choosing Notre Dame? Definitely. My paternal grandmother is 100% Irish, and (laughs) she prayed the rosary multiple times a day, every day. And I was particularly close with my grandmom. And, you know, especially on football days, you know, she would, uh, football Saturdays, she would be praying that rosary extra hard. But (laughs) she had, you know, a Notre Dame teddy bear on her stand at home. And her rosary was, you know, had shamrocks all over, you know, so she was, she's really (laughs) Notre Dame. I didn't know much about Notre Dame other than that my grandmother loved Notre Dame and watched the football team. Also, I learned later after I gained admittance that my dad applied to and was accepted into the Notre Dame Law School, but you know, due to various factors, chose somewhere else. And I don't uh-huh. know if that was a regret. I, I didn't, I haven't really come back to that conversation, but <laughs> I thought it was interesting that he was like, let's go, let's drive out to Notre Dame. I'm like, Notre Dame, you know? Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't on my radar, but I did other schools to which I applied was Villanova and Boston college. Mm-hmm. And then also like Penn state and things like that. So when I got into Notre Dame, the excitement from my family and especially my grandmother, it was like a hero's welcome, you know? Yeah. So I, I almost felt called to go there based on my family's history with it, but it wasn't a school. I was pretty naive, I guess the oldest of four. I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, mm-hmm. I worked hard in school and earned good grades, but I think I ended up at Notre Dame because of my dad taking me out there and then it ended up being the best choice. Good. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. And there is something about visiting this place. I can speak from personal experience where it's sort of the clouds part and you think, wow, this really this really could be it for me. And I'm glad that was the case for you. Once you got here, what were some of the important experiences of your time as a student? I was undecided when I entered. I knew I wanted to do something in the sciences. So pre-med or math is were my intentions, were my intents to major in. While I was a student, I had a couple really special experiences. I was sick really early on. I think it was October of my freshman year. I ended up Mm. in the infirmary for a week. Wow. And my professor, who still works there, we still keep in touch, Professor Josh Kaplan in the political science department, came to visit me. So this is in, you know... The mid nineties, he came with a tape recorder. He had tape recorded his lesson for me and Mm. just came to talk and just reach out and said he was concerned about me being so far from home. And I just thought, wow, you know, this is my first introduction to how special the Notre Dame family is. So to this day, I never forgot that act of kindness and we still keep in touch and he's, you know, still thriving on campus, I'm sure, touching lives all the time. <laughs> also, uh, Father John Dunn taught a class my senior year. It was called Religious Autobiography. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the classes I kept my binders for. Yeah. He was phenomenal, all about focusing on the desire of the heart and where my will matches God's will. That is what the heart desires. And just the importance of listening to what God's will is and 
he was just such a special guy. I was in his office often for office hours. Yeah, really a legend, a legend on campus, both in the cross community and and in the faculty as well. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people hearing this uh, who who knew him will will resonate with that. Mm -hmm. Jess, as you hear some of those tales of your mom, you know, coming to Notre Dame and some of these important experiences as a student, what resonates with you? What makes you smile as you hear your mom talk about those days? It's interesting because some, some things I'm like, oh, yes, I know. And some of them I'm like, oh, I've never heard that story before. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting to learn, to hear about. So, yeah. <laughs> and for you, what was attractive about Notre Dame when it came time for you to think about coming to college? I grew up with Notre Dame football on the TV every Saturday, and my mom took me out to a game, couple games, and so it was always like this dream of mine. But then in high school, you know, when academics really picked up, it sort of became like a goal. It was like really what motivated me to like study hard and you know really work hard to make myself like the best possible student. My mom didn't really like pressure me to apply. It wasn't really forced. She really let me make my own decision, which. At the time, I was like, oh, I could really use like some advice. But she was I'm really <laughs> grateful for that because it really made me choose Notre Dame on my own, not like sure. to be pushed to choose it. And, you know, it really is a special place. I, <laughs> it means a lot to me going back from like before I was even born. So I'm I'm so glad I chose to go here. It's been an incredible experience. And yeah. Yeah. Well, we're blessed to to have you with us for sure. And we'll turn to that topic now. Kristen, towards the end of your time as a student, your life took a very dramatic and unexpected turn. Could you tell us about that, please? Yes, Dan, it certainly did. (laughs) Uh, Did not. My senior year did not end the way I had planned it to be um, originally, but I was dating a guy, also a senior, and we had an experience where the next morning he drove me to a Planned Parenthood in South Bend because we were fearful that perhaps what we did might have led to an unplanned pregnancy. So mm-hmm. this was in the spring of 2000. Sure. And he drove me, it was downtown, and I don't remember too much about the visit, but I do remember I was handed like a little like packet of pills and told that, you know, we, if I took the this pill and then this other pill, that everything should be taken care of. Hmm. So I elected not to take them in the office. I just like was grasping it in my hands and we drove home and I didn't consider myself to be an assertive person. Like my boyfriend at the time was very assertive and I pretty much would listen to him or, or his logic most of the time. Mm-hmm. But my heart, like I, the, the Holy spirit, like was speaking to me in quiet ways, like, and, and almost like, don't take this pill, don't take this pill, don't take this pill. Mm-hmm. And I ended up faking that I took the pill to appease him. And I just kept it in the palm of my hand and I flushed it down the toilet when I got home. Hmm. So that occurred in the spring. And then I sort of forgot about it. Things were getting busy. I was planning to move to Chicago. I had accepted a job with Accenture as a technology analyst and had had a roommate and we 
went to Chicago, found a place in Wrigleyville. So there's a lot of busyness going on, things keeping my mind off of everything. I sort of forgot about everything until around graduation time, I'd realized, okay, oh, wow, I haven't had my period in Mm -hmm. a little while. Sure. So a group of friends and I went to Martin's and bought three different pregnancy tests and I took them and they were all negative. So I was like, okay, okay. So a little bit of relief. And I called my doctor back home because I thought it was odd. And she assured me, well, it didn't assure me, but she said, hey, there's a lot of stress in your life right now. This is totally normal to go off cycle. Relax, you know, three, you know, this is now two months into it. Like you would have, you know, most likely one of those tests would have been positive. So again, I kind of, it went to the back of my mind. I didn't really even think it was a possibility. I had graduation. It was wonderful. My parents came out who had, again, sacrificed so much for me to have that education and Mm. then said goodbye to my friends, went home for, I was going to be home for a month and I had to get a work physical for Accenture. So I went to my doctor's office and she came into the room. She's like, I don't think you know this, but you are pregnant. I was like, whoa. So Mm -hmm. that was the new, the, the big change you were alluding to. Yeah. So million thoughts raced through my head. The doctor said there are options and we can talk about these options. You know, you're early enough on. And I elected not to talk about the options. I think I was in shock. Mm -hmm. I drove home to my parents' house. And this was before cell phones were really a big thing. I didn't have a cell phone. And our family phone was in the middle of the kitchen, the one (laughs) phone we had. So it wasn't like I was going to call, you know, my boyfriend there. Yeah. <laughs> so I went upstairs to uh, where we had a computer and I sent him an email and I said, just wanted to let you know, I received the physical and I'm expecting our child. So mm. his reaction, um, he flew out to Pennsylvania the next weekend and, you know, we talked and He made an appointment at the Allentown Women's Center, and I never showed up. Hmm. So he went home, back to where he's from, and we corresponded via email. And, you know, neither of us were 22. You know, he was 23. I'm 22 and pregnant and just about to start our lives. So we didn't know what to do. I held off from telling my parents for as long as possible until I had a plan in place. Yeah. He contacted an attorney in the Chicago area who had a big link to Notre Dame and and apparently found a Notre Dame family who was unable to conceive. And he thought, well, if we're not going to have the abortion, like at least like this would be a solution that wouldn't involve killing the child. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how far along they got with the talks. I never met with the attorney. And so I'm still processing everything like, oh, my gosh. In the meantime, I called Accenture and explained the situation. And they agreed to give me a year to get things settled. And they transferred me to the Philadelphia office. So they were wonderful. Like they didn't rescind their job offer, you know, but I knew I couldn't go to Chicago. So then I had the most difficult conversation, which is with my parents. Mm -hmm. And just I felt like I had disappointed 
them immensely. You know, mm-hmm. not only obviously I had premarital sex and which is against the Catholic faith, Catholic teachings, but they had just worked overtime and done everything they could to send me to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And here I was. They were in disbelief, but you know, they didn't my dad rented a truck, a U-Haul, drove out to Notre Dame where I had all my stuff in storage, picked it up. I think did a lot of contemplating on that trip and just brought it back. He said, well, you you can't do that job. You know, you're going to have to, you know, find another career like that. You'll be able to be a mom for. And, you know, we discussed as a family, like the three of us. And then when uh, Rob flew out, we again, a second time, you know, he presented the option of, you know, this family, this Notre Dame family and from the attorney. And my mom said pretty much, no, we're going to have this child, you know, and Mm -hmm. we can do this. So even though, I mean, the disappointment and just that awful, I relived that conversation once in a while. And just the, just what I saw in their eyes, like, oh my gosh, you know, what have I done here? Yeah, really hard. Mm-hmm. And thank you for the, that vulnerability and, and letting us into that story. I think there are uh, conversations in in a lot of people's families that are that can be hard in that way. And I think the question is not, you know, whether they'll happen. They'll probably happen uh, with a lot of us. But what's our reaction to that? Jess, uh, you, you've been kind of listening to this. It's very riveting to me. But you're intimately involved in this because you were that child who your mom was expecting. What strikes you about that story and what kind of emotions are you are you struck with as you hear your mom retell that? Yeah, I mean, it is touching. And, you know, I try to like put myself in her place, like having to tell her that I was pregnant at 22. And I just like if she had a lot of courage to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really impactful. And it's like emotional to me to listen to it. So very much in awe of like how strong she was to be able to like, I don't know, she knew what she wanted and was able to like express that not only to my dad, but to my grandparents. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. A lot of waves there of, of resistance, I guess, from the culture and, and, and your boyfriend and then things like that, Kristen, where you could have chosen differently, but, but you didn't. Once you got to the point of going to keep Jess and raise her, can you just describe some of those early hurdles as you, you know, were a single mom and, and trying to navigate all that? I think the shame was probably like the worst part of it, mm-hmm. you know, just more so for my parents to have to deal with it. Like, you know, like I said, I was this hero almost going to Notre Dame and now they had to inform, you know, our parish priest and mm-hmm. my grandmother. And, you know, that was really the biggest hurdle. Okay. My parish priest, Father Monsignor Murphy, wrote a card to me the very next day with a check inside that we welcome the newest Yut family member to our parish, you know, with open arms like that. The reaction of the church, I'll never, you know, I'll never forget that. It, w- it wasn't condescending, like, oh, anything like, you know, not embarrassment, not shame, like, Wow. I think I cried for three hours. <laughs> I wow. was a little emotional to yeah, begin with, of course, sure. but I mean, yeah. but that the church, you know, doesn't condemn, you know, mm-hmm. welcomes sinners and, you know, with open arms and 
that was so meaningful to me. And, and uh, you know, I'll never, ever, ever forget that. Yeah, that we start out the Mass admitting that we're sinners, all sinners in need of God's mercy, and that it's so important as a church to think about, yeah, how we react when these situations come up, that they can make such a, such a difference for people in, in such a vulnerable time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just growing up Catholic and my teachers and my priests and the nuns and, you know, just having that pro-life message, you know, stated throughout childhood makes a big difference. Sure. At least in my life, as I said, I wasn't until that point. Now I'm much more assertive as an adult and <laughs> having gone through, you know, having raised a daughter, yeah. you know, on my own with the help of my family. I mean, sure. it was a village, but sure. that really got me through. It, mm-hmm. it was, you know, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and he will direct your path. That's what a quote from my senior retreat, you know, mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. And I still have the picture like sitting on my desk right here, but and, and he really did. The early hurdles, well, like I said, I was one of four and I had one brother, actually two brothers at college who came home for the summer. And then mm-hmm. my sister was in seventh grade. She was much younger than the rest of us. And, you know, figuring out how to get started with life. And mm-hmm. so my dad, as I said, was like, you cannot work this career. You'll never be home. You'll never see this child. And so I decided to enroll at Lehigh University to become a teacher, which was going to be a two-year program and cost me about $100,000 at the time. It was $50,000 a year additional to what I thought, oh my goodness, you know, but this is God coming through. He will direct your path. There was a woman in the first class that I joined late. This was in July of 2000. And second or third class in, she said, what's your story? Like, who, you know, because the rest of them were a cohort kind of moving through. And yeah. this was a principal in a local in Quakertown school district. And I said, well, I was a math major at Notre Dame and I'm pregnant. Hmm. And so I want to become a teacher. So I'm around. Yeah. And she said, oh, honey, you're doing this all wrong. Here's this website, njhire.com in the state of New Jersey, which is only about a 25 minute ride east of where we live, they hire people that are not certified and they certify you at night through a program called the Provisional Teacher Program. So right there, that's that's my angel. I finished that class, but I put my name on a website. I received two interviews within the week, accepted the job closer to home. It ended up being a 42-mile commute. (laughs) And I had a wonderful start to my teaching career. I admitted when I interviewed, I said, hey, I'm pregnant, you know, and I know I didn't have to say that, but I didn't want to surprise anyone. Mm-hmm. And they still hired me and I, w- I became certified at night. And I had benefits for when I had my daughter. Mm-hmm. I had a salary, a little bit different than my Accenture salary, but that's okay. It was right. something coming in. <laughs> and I hired a nanny during the days when my mom got home from night shift. So the nanny would watch Jess and she could sleep a little bit and then she would take over after lunch and then I would take over when I got home. So everything just really came together. I had loving family who threw me a shower, supportive coworkers that threw me a a second shower. I had another shower from friends from home that 
really everyone was in disbelief, like really Kristen's pregnant, like what? But, you know, everyone came together and really helped get me started. Sure. Sure. And did you hear back from anyone in the Notre Dame community? You know, you had, you're always part of the Notre Dame family, but you had moved on, you know, from the geographic location from our campus. But anyone, was there anyone in the Notre Dame family who was particularly supportive of you? I made the intent to separate myself from the Notre Dame family because I wasn't sure if I was going to give my daughter up for adoption mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want anyone outside of my circle to know and then therefore remind me of my decision. Mm. So I went silent on a lot of the Notre Dame family because I didn't know what direction I was taking at that point. Mm-hmm. And I have since reunited with many of my friends who were wondering what had happened and were trying to get in touch with me, knew I was supposed to be in Chicago and were just really unclear about what happened. And of course, now it would be much harder to go silent because <laughs> right, of all yeah. this, you're connected everywhere, right? right? But I guess that was a fortunate piece because I was going back and forth in my mind. And so no one really from the Notre Dame family, but they would have, I know, had sure. I reached out, but... I made that decision not to. Yeah. An early form of ghosting, I guess. They yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Good. So, Jessica, as you, again, kind of hear that, I'm curious about your experience as a young girl kind of growing up in this environment. When did you get a sense of, well, my situation is a little bit different, you know, with my grandparents very near here and my mom, you know, going to school at night. I mean, how much of that were you aware of as you were growing up? Honestly, I was so surrounded by love. Like I got the opportunity, like a lot of my friends weren't as close to their grandparents. I got to go to my grandparents every day after school growing up. I had Mm -hmm. aunts and uncles that were around and, you know, of course my mom. And I never really felt like, of course, there was a piece missing. And I did realize that, but I, there was never a time where I didn't feel like I had like the best family in the world. And they were, I was always so surrounded by, you know, love. I just... I feel really lucky to have grown up in the family that I did where, you know, I had my mom and I had my gram who was like a second mom. My grandpa who sort of played, he like took me to the daddy daughter dances and, you know, he sort of did dad and grandpa in one. So I was so lucky to have such a supportive family and, you know, grow up with them. And it was a faith based home. And I just, yeah, I never felt like I was, I don't know, not loved. It was, it was, I, yeah. Absolutely. I, you were, clearly surrounded by a lot of love. And I think it is a beautiful story for us to hear about that. As you kind of came out to your own and started to understand your talents and gifts, where did you kind of feel yourself called in terms of your study and coming to Notre Dame? Yeah, I am pursuing pharmacy school after graduation. Great. That sort of came from stemmed from my grandfather getting sick, which really impacted all of us. You know, we were very close and he sort of served as that main father figure in my life. He contracted hepatitis C from back when he was a cadet at West Point. And Hmm. he was in an experimental drug trial while I was in middle school and he he got really sick and that, you know, really impacted me and my mom, my gram, and he had a lot of treatments and like, thankfully, like he's all healthy now. And my aunt actually donated part of her liver to him and they had a transplant surgery. So like really a lot of awesome, like, thank goodness that he's doing well, he's healthy. And 
you know, the experimental drug trial really, you know, I was very interested in it, all the different medications he was taking, you know, what was going on with his health. And he kind of encouraged me to look into pharmacy because I, I know I liked math and my mom was a math teacher. So I was always doing math and I, I liked science. So I got a job as a pharmacy technician at a small compounding pharmacy in Allentown called Medicap. And in my junior year of high school. And I loved it. It was incredible. I had great bosses and I learned so much. And so that's really where I was, you know, I was interested in a career in healthcare, specifically pharmacy. In my college application process, I applied to a lot of direct PharmD programs that, sure. and Notre Dame doesn't offer those. So, you know, I applied to Notre Dame and I applied to a couple other pharmacy schools and was lucky enough and blessed to get into both. And so it was a tough decision. You know, I loved Notre Dame, but they didn't have the degree I really wanted and what I was really working for. So that was tough. And I ended up choosing to go to Notre Dame. I just, it was this goal that I had worked for. I felt like my whole high school career, it was, you know, the motivating factor to work hard and get good grades and to also, I don't know, it was always this dream. And I felt like I belonged there and I felt like it was sort of, I don't know, bringing my life story and my mom's story full circle. And I'm very happy that I get to go here. It's been an incredible experience. I'm studying neuroscience, which I, I had no idea that I liked. And now I'm so passionate about, and it's been awesome. So, well, and I became aware of your story and then found out that you got into Notre Dame and I thought, what a beautiful testament to life and the love of a family, even though things didn't start in ideal circumstances. But the reaction to that, to this point where just, you know, you were able to you know achieve so much in your young life that you got into Notre Dame. And now here you are a few months away from, from graduating from this wonderful institution. So just uh, strikes me as a a beautiful testament to what God's love and grace can do, even even in challenging times. Oh, for sure. Yes. It's hard to believe it's already almost over. Yeah. <laughs> well, you also mentioned to me that there's this aspect, as you study these subjects, that you're, you have a minor, is it, in a compassionate care and medicine. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us what that is and, and why that's important to you? Yes. I sort of discovered the minor after perusing through the College of Science my freshman year. I came in as a pre-professional studies major. As you know, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I just, you know, wasn't exactly sure where that would fit in at Notre Dame. And I was really interested in this major or this minor. Um, it's with Dr. Rashan and through the Hillebrand Center. And mm-hmm. we learn a lot in preparation for a career of healthcare with the hard sciences. We know the biology, the chemistry, the physics. We don't learn as much about, you know, when you're working in healthcare, how to deal with like these tough conversations and how to interact with patients and, you know, deal with your own emotions and their emotions. There's so much to that side of medicine. Sure. And a lot of the minors, you know, teaching how to best go about dealing with it to with your patients and then also with yourself. So I've been able to take some really, really interesting courses on hospice care and, you know, intertwining faith in medicine. And I'm writing a senior thesis on the science of compassion and pharmacy, which has been really cool. I've been able to, with Dr. Rashan, go to the St. Joe's Hospital nearby and he works with the pharmacy residents there. So even though they don't have, you know, my pharmacy major degree here, I've been able to really take my academic interest with that minor and with my neuroscience major 
which has been awesome. And, you know, it's something I really believe in. I, I am a very emotional person, which I think I get from my mom. And <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes that's viewed as a weakness where I, you know, I care so much about things that I sometimes get over emotional. But part of the minors really taught me that that emotion, that empathy and compassion, like it not only is like beneficial to healthcare, but it, it improves patient outcomes. You know, when you really care about the patient, not only just, you know, getting them well, but that their whole life, like you're really working with the whole person. I think it's so important. And it's been great to be able to learn more about that and, you know, realize it's not just a weakness, but it's also a strength to really care. So, yeah. Well, and Kristen, going back to your early story in terms of finding out you were pregnant with Jess, you know, you didn't receive a lot of compassionate care. It sounded like from going to the clinic here in South Bend, the first doctor, you know, kind of, we have these options, but that really wasn't what you needed to hear. What's your reaction to knowing that Jess is going to contribute to the medical world with this sense of care and compassion? You know, it's only at Notre Dame this would happen. It's just so wonderful that she has the right spirit she is so full of love and spirit and the right spirit and that she'll be out in the world in a few years, hopefully God willing, using her pharmacy degree and not just dispensing drugs, you know, sure. but really, you know, caring about the entire person. It's unbelievable how it, it's really worked out. I didn't know about the compassionate care and medicine program. But when Jess mentioned Dr. Dominic Vachon, my heart dropped because he counseled me. He was a counselor at Notre Dame while I was an undergrad. Wow. Yes. And he helped me through crisis situation. And I didn't say anything. When I knew Jess was working with him, I didn't want to interfere Jess has a different last name than I do. So Uh probably wouldn't have been my last name is pretty (laughs) unique. Right. (laughs) So at Junior Parents Weekend last February, we waited till after the presentation and Jess went over and hi, Jess, you know, hi, Dr. Bashan, I'm Jess. And, you know, I work with, and he's like, oh, of course, Jess. And then I was like, and I'm Kristen, and you you know, pretty much saved my life in college. Like, wow. you, yeah. And he, he was like, wait, what? And I was like, well, yeah, I went to the university counseling building and you were assigned to me. And he's like, wow, yes. And like, so we talked a little bit about that. And so he was just such a wonderful influence on me when I was struggling at Notre Dame you know, with sure. my relationship and, you know, how that came to be. And, you know, so many factors leading up to choices that I made and that he, you know, really helped me work through. But now that Jess is learning from him in a different capacity and there's no one I would want her to learn from more than him. And I can't <laughs> believe he's still involved with Notre Dame. And, and like I said, in a different capacity, but sure, sure. again, there's, there's God, you know, yeah. he's, he's making the plan, you know, we're just kind of following life along and wow, there's Dr. Vashon. Yeah. Thank you, God, yeah. for putting him into Jess's life. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's those people in life that are just doing their normal thing, so to speak, in terms of their job or teaching or 
where where they have an impact on young people and, and, and may not always realize that how much of an impact until I'm sure it was a graced moment for him to hear that story so many years later. Kristen, you have continued into teaching all the way to earning your PhD. What has been important to you about those sort of mentor relationships as a teacher? I really try to give 110% to my students every day. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not an easy teacher. I teach <laughs> AP calculus and I teach multivariable calculus, which I cannot believe is taught in high school, but it is. Yeah, um, and it's intense. <laughs> yes. And I am not known as one to like just hand out the A's. So, mm-hmm. but I really try to show my students that I really care about them and I, I want them to succeed and, and reach their maximum potential in my class. And, you know, you never know what kind of impact you have really in the classroom, especially I teach a lot of seniors and they'll go on. Mm -hmm. But this year, our superintendent did a podcast after the graduation in June and randomly picked four students. And we have a large school, 3,600 in high school. And he talked to one student who said some really nice things about me. And at the end, he said, and that's why I chose to go to Notre Dame, because Mm -hmm. I plan to be a physician and I want to care about my patients as much as Dr. Yuck cared about me in my education. I was like, whoa, that's (laughs) like, what? And the superintendent said back, does she know that? And he said, I think so. And I didn't know that, but (laughs) that was really awesome. Like what? And so sometimes I was really lucky to get that, you know, to that soundbite. He picked the superintendent happened to pick the right students. Like, yeah, I really, you know, that was just by chance. But I'm glad at least he noticed what I try to do. And and that's just try to I try to show them how much I care. I try to. I'm not perfect. Sure. I mess up. I lose my patience. Sure. I try not to. But I try to, you know, love them and care for them as I would my own child. For sure. Well, and there's probably so many things in our lives that we don't, you know, realize the impact of what we're doing, you know, what the impact is having on on people's lives. And Jess, I want to turn to a story about you uh, that I became aware of that I think also probably had some unanticipated impact that, you know, maybe is still will bear fruit in the future. But when you were in high school, you were asked to give a talk to what seemed like the whole high school. I saw a video of this. Could you tell us about what that talk was and what it was like for you to share that story? Uh, Yeah, I'm not a big public speaker. (laughs) So (laughs) Father Searles, who was my high school chaplain at Central Catholic, an amazing priest, I have a great relationship with him. He called me in and asked if I would talk about my pro-life story after mass to the whole school. Mm. And (laughs) this is a big ask for me. And I think he knew that. But so I was very hesitant. My close friends, of course, knew about my, you know, that my dad wasn't as active in my life. And Mm. I was living with my mom and my grandparents helped a lot. But I, I don't know really if anyone knew like all the way from the beginning. So it was tough to want to share. But, you know, Father Cyril's and my mom really encouraged me to speak about this and so I, you know, wrote little things down and <laughs> went up and, you know, told the my mom's Notre Dame story. And it really, it was hard to share, but 
at the same time, it was it sort of came naturally, I guess. Mm. Well, yeah, and I'm sure that is hard because it's such said such a vulnerable part of your family story, and you know, your mom talked about the shame that can be around the immediate announcement or dis- or discovery of okay, here's an unplanned pregnancy. But I think what is so inspiring about stories like your family is that we have a little bit more of a perspective into God's sight and to God's knowledge of of what this life will become and who this person will become. And, you know, here you were 17, 18 years later after this crisis and, and sharing that story. Kristen, what was that like for you to know that your daughter was doing that? I was really proud of her for standing up in front of her entire student body with really nothing to gain for her personally, mm-hmm. I would say, but something to perhaps make an impact in the future for one of those students, mm-hmm. like their own pro-life education. Like, wow, look at Jess. She plays basketball. She plays tennis. She's at doing so well in school. She's you know nice to everyone. And she's only alive because her grandparents instilled the pro-life message to her mom growing up, you know, how critical, like, can you imagine, Mm -hmm. you know, a world without Jess? I mean, of course I cannot imagine that at all, but the place was silent. And I believe I was in the very back in a place where she couldn't see because I wanted to record it and then run back to my school for the rest of the school day. But I think they gave her a standing ovation because it was such a powerful message. Like, I'm living proof that bad things can happen, but really good things can come out of it if you just Mm -hmm. keep your faith in God and you do the right thing. Yeah. Part of her talk alluded to the fact that through the years, and when I was pregnant especially, several high school friends, my coworkers, and then later in life when I reconnected with my college friends, have said they were in a similar situation and made a different decision Mm -hmm. and how devastated they are on a daily basis. They think of it, you know, some Mm -hmm. have planted trees as, you know, to try to like give life that way. And just that they think every day that, you know, they could have this child that's this many years old and what Mm -hmm. would they be doing And, and just the mental anguish that they go through So I think they were almost like rooting me on and sharing that story like, wow, I'm not saying this to pump myself up, but look how strong you are. You did this and I could have done that and I didn't. And now I live with a lot of regret. So it's amazing some of the people that told me their story. And I think Jess, like I said, alluded to that in her speech too, because she does know some of those people and just, I'm just so fortunate that the Holy Spirit guided me. It's like I said, again, it's just the power of growing up in a, a faith-filled family and how important that is to everyone out there to stress, you know, that every life is precious, mm-hmm. you know, and and how what a difference that can make. And interestingly, one of Jess's classmates, no one that she was particularly close with in high school, 
went to college somewhere in Pennsylvania and ended up pregnant and had the child. And mm-hmm. Jess and I sent a card and, and a gift card because I remembered how the priest was to me and just welcoming. Sure. And sure. and we have no idea if, you know, just, but it's awesome, you know, yeah. that a life was saved and this beautiful child's here on earth. And hopefully that message will resonate to her school community and hopefully beyond. Yeah. And of course, we always treat these stories with the utmost care and compassion for anyone who's been in what feels like those impossible situations. And of course, have confidence in God's forgiveness is beyond any vast, beyond any sin that we can dream up in in our lives. But I think the reason that I wanted to help share your story was just the hope that it gives for the future and anyone who might be in a similar situation to imagine what God's grace can do in that situation and to help people understand that they're not alone. I imagine that you felt very alone at times, Kristen, but then as we've heard over the course of your life playing out, you weren't alone in so many of those moments. You're exactly right. I feel like once the baby arrives, it's all going to be okay because it's so much love exists. Mm -hmm. And it is a rough time, but somehow to get past the shame, get past the embarrassment, it will work out. There are so many resources out there. Jess and I are active at our local pregnancy shelter, K Galgan Lifehouse. If your family doesn't support you, it's okay. I'm lucky I had a loving family. I know not everyone is in my situation, mm-hmm. but you know, there are resources out there and just keep trusting in God and do the right thing. You never know. Like this was my only opportunity in life to have a child. You know, I didn't know that at age 22. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that's the course my life was going to take. Mm-hmm. And you know, now looking back, now that I'm 45, I can look back and I almost have a college graduate and it's it's surreal. Yeah. Like that was a gift from God. Jess is a gift. And if you can move yourself forward in your life and try to look back, do you want to look back and say, you know, you ended the potential to have a Jess mm-hmm. just because you wanted to save yourself from embarrassment or, or perhaps the adoption route. You don't have the means to raise a family. I didn't choose that because I knew I could raise Jess. I knew in my heart that I would have the support and I would be able to do that. But do the right thing. Do the right thing. Have that Jess. Give Jess a chance at life and mm-hmm. things will come together. Well, and of course, it's a central tenet of our faith in thinking about the crucifixion that God can make grace out of any situation of human suffering and hardship. And even sometimes the consequences of our sin, God can transform that into something life-giving and life-sustaining. And so, you know, we cling to that. We cling to those people along the way who show us that message. And so I'd like to turn to models of holiness, because that's a lot of what we talk about throughout the podcast, but always certainly at the end. Jess, I'll start with you. Who have been some of the models of holiness to you in your life? I think from the very beginning of my life, it's my grandparents, just how much faith was involved in everyday aspects of their lives. It really was just how it was, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. you pray before meals, you thank God when you hit a green light or say Hail Mary <laughs> when an ambulance goes by. It was just every, there was intertwined with, you know, every aspect of 
my life. And, you know, it, it was never that it was, you know, forced upon me. And I, I was lucky that I was able to ask questions when I was you know, struggling with my faith. And but my mom, my grandparents, yeah, I feel like they've really served as showed the importance of faith in my life, and especially in just understanding of like, why we're here and what our purpose is just to, you know, be good and to leave the world a better place than it was found. And I feel like just how much they showed that love, like not only to me, but also to, you know, to those in our community who needed extra help. They're just the most generous people I know. And I think they are definitely the models of faith in my life. Well, thank you for sharing that. Kristen, I imagine <laughs> that they might also come up for you. You're welcome to talk about that as well as any other models of holiness that you really hang on to. Yes, my parents and then especially my grandmother on my dad's side who loved the rosary and I love the rosary. I do my rosary podcast every day mm-hmm. and I, I think of her fondly. And I had a lovely, you know, time in Walsh Hall in the chapel and we had several different priests come over and I did love the Center for Social Concerns mm-hmm. and Father Lisa and I did a trip to Appalachia over one spring break with them and just the different service opportunities on campus. Just so many wonderful mentors on the Notre Dame campus that kept us involved in our faith lives. You know, I loved going to listen to the folk choir at the Basilica. Mm-hmm. And then back at home, you know, my parish priest, who I was lucky to have, really, I think he gave sacraments to, was it five generations of our family? I think last rites wow. to my great grandparents, all the way down to baptizing Jess. <laughs> you know, so he was a force in our lives. And he's recently retired, but still active in the ministry. And just how that was wonderful to have him. And just like I said, accepting of imperfect uh, humans as as we all are. But. Sure. And Jess, for my final question, I'd like to ask you first and then your mom, as you're trying to live a holy life as it relates to this compassionate care in medicine and being a pharmacist, and what's been important to you as you seek to live a, in a holy way? I think just be a force for good, like Notre Dame sort of teaches us. Mm-hmm. And I... I think what I've learned like throughout my whole life is just, you know, leave the room better than I found it. And, and that can be done in little ways or in, you know, sometimes in big ways, but I think that's, it's just those little aspects of saying a kind compliment to someone or I don't know, just demonstrating that being good and being kind and leaving the world a better place, I think would be my main goal. And I'm excited about the future, hopefully in pharmacy. And I really feel like I learned so much at Notre Dame that I can bring into that, especially with the CCIM minor and just, you know, how compassion and empathy really can make a really positive difference in my career. And now I'm, I'm looking forward to what's coming next with that. Yeah. Well, we are excited for you. That's for sure. Kristen, for you, what's been effective in terms of trying to live a holy life? This will sound cliche, but the Notre Dame Alumni Association and getting involved in my local club has been such a wonderful experience. And I didn't become an active member until pretty late, until Jess, I think, was 
already accepted to the university. I think I went to my first club meeting because I knew I would have a lot of time on my hands. As mm-hmm. I, you know, it was just she and I, and I was like, wow, I need to. And the first meeting I was at, I was appointed club treasurer. <laughs> so <laughs> no I was like, good oh, okay. deed goes unpunished, right? <laughs> right? Right. I said, okay, sounds good. And then we didn't have too much of a service component going on. And so I delved into some service projects for our club and as the treasurer, I read about on the website, the Lennon Life Prize and Mm -hmm. decided to try to put together an application for that. And it was the first one, I think the first time you you had that award and we happened to win uh, one of the prizes. And that was the impetus for Jess's speech. So that was her, yeah, that was her senior year in high school. And you funded buses, I think, to uh, DC. That's what we used it. So we brought, I, I forget, was it 10? With all the Catholic school, the three right. Catholic high schools, yeah. might have been five, three, and two buses. I think it might have been 10 buses of students yeah. and faculty down to DC for the pro life march. And we mm-hmm. had various others. We had like a mass in the chapel. We had a day of service at K Galgan Life House where we mm-hmm. organized a pantry and clean. So, So we've continued our service with that. And then most recently, last year, I moved on to president of the club again. (laughs) Not a position. Right. Yeah. Not a position I was striving for or wanted, but our wonderful former president, Nick Nanovic, had had a child with his wife and, you know, a lot going on in his life. So he left and nobody took it and nobody took it and nobody took it. And so eventually I said, fine, Nick, okay, I'll do it. So, but. We applied with Elizabeth, Dr. Elizabeth Gibson, who's a pediatrician in our area, and Julie Fantosi helped with the application and to Lennon Life Prize yet again. Mm-hmm. This time we're sponsoring two refugee families, who one from Afghanistan and one from Honduras. And wow, are they living testaments to our faith and like how they're restart, restarting their lives here. Yeah. And wow, an eye-opening experience. But the Notre Dame Alumni Association, I mean, that's a $5,000 grant that we're able to help taper their rent payments and mm-hmm. get them off the ground. And our club has really helped us out financially, not only financially, but with their time, taking them to appointments. And it's really brought out the best in people. And so that's what I would say to people that might be listening to this. If you're looking for a really fulfilling way to spend your your time, get involved with your local Notre Dame alumni club. We don't just have alumni in our club. We have friends of the university and people who just support the mission of the university, teachers, we have doctors, lawyers, you know, laymen and women all pitching in and rallying around various service projects. And that has really awakened my faith life at this point in my life, especially because I knew how much I would miss Jess being away and just she's all I had for, you know, for the last 20 years. So definitely... I would say call, find, look on the website, you know, NDA. <laughs> Honestly, find your yeah. local club, get involved. If not, if you're anywhere around Allentown, Pennsylvania, we'd love to have you in our club. <laughs> so. No, I'm just laughing because I want to make clear this isn't a paid advertisement oh, for our, no, our club's didn't. network, but <laughs> you're right. Yeah, my.nd.edu and you can, you can find a club almost anywhere, certainly in the United States, but there's also clubs around the world, which is, you know, just speaks to, I think, the Notre Dame family. And what a lot of people 
cherish while they're here is the community and this sense of, as Jess said, being a force for good. And when you do some of those things, that your heart can be awakened in faith. So I'm glad that that has been the case for you, Kristen. Yes. It's really sustained my faith. And I've met a lot of wonderful people associated with the university, either, you know, alumni or just friends of, and it's how I love to spend my free time outside of work. Great. Well, we are grateful for your service in that respect. And I am especially grateful to both of you for sharing so much of the intimate details of your story with us and just giving us, as I said, a sign of hope in a weary world that there is beauty and goodness and sometimes God's will interacting with the messiness of our lives can still produce some really beautiful things. So thank you both for taking the time to share that with the Faith Indy audience and our prayers go with you. Kristen, as you continue in your vocation as a teacher And Jess, certainly for you, as you embark on your further education and career that know that a lot of people who are listening to this will be praying for all good things and success for you both. Thank you. And Dan, thank you so much. I mean, I love the Faith ND email every day, and I read that gospel and the reflection and, you know, the prayer. And for all you do for the university, I hope you get thanked because you mean a lot and we know how much you do for the university and how hard you work. So thank you for all you do to make our faith life stronger. So thank you. And thanks for having us on today. Oh, you're very welcome. That's so that's so kind of you to say. It's a blessing for me just to be a part of this mission and outreach and certainly to hear these stories bolsters my faith as well. So that concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indeed podcast. As Kristen mentioned, we do have a daily gospel reflection, and you can sign up for that at faith.nd.edu slash sign up, as well as to subscribe to the podcast. Certainly, we ask you to rate it and share it if you enjoyed it and think others might be inspired by it. But just thank you for taking the time to stay with us and to pray with us as we continue this special mission. Until next time, you'll be in our prayers. God bless. Thank you.